Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Now, we're looking at that tonight. I hope you'll be here tonight for the evening service. We're looking at the churches of Galatia. What's that talking about? hope you'll be here at 530. Uh, Then, verse 3. This is where we are. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to continue in verse 3, grace and peace. Um, It's interesting to me as I look at my commentaries, how many commentators just skip over this as if he's saying, hello, and then he goes on. No, grace is very important. What is repetition in the Bible? All right. Now I'm going to throw something at you. You might have written it down in your Bible. If you did, then you'll know it. Some of you will have good memories. Others of you will be thinking about SpongeBob. But here, here is what I want you to get. And we're going to be reviewing this regularly. How many times does the Apostle Paul mention the word grace in the New Testament? Who remembers? Just throw it out. Let me check to make sure I say it right. 91 times. So if God mentions mentions something 91 times in 14 books of the Bible, do you think maybe that's important? How many think that might be important? That's what Galatians is about. It's grace. Then the Apostle Paul mentions the word peace 47 times. Grace 91 times. Peace 47 times. If God emphasizes something like that that many times, That's really important. All right? Then the third thing that we're going to review, I want you to know this. We don't preach just to have something to do while we're here. We don't study a book of the Bible. I want you to know it. I want you to be able to say these things to other people. 91 times grace, 47 times peace, and every time grace comes before peace. You can't have peace if you've not experienced the grace of God. Amen? So today we're going to look again at this subject of peace, and then I believe we'll start moving through. Don't forget that March is our missions month. Next Sunday we will have our missionary, what's his first name? Matt Kretzman. Matt Kretzman. And the connection to our church, Phil Clayton, one of Larry Clayton's sons, pastors in Kitchener, Ontario. His daughter married Matt Kretzman. Matt Kretzman is going to Cuba to plant churches and to minister in Cuba. Huber, as uh, President Kennedy would have said. But we are, uh, we're going to have him next week. So be in prayer about our missions month. But as we go through this book of Galatians, this week we're going to continue in this subject of peace. But let's look at it in a biblical way. Listen to what J., uh, Hall, uh, James Haldane said, great Baptist from Scotland. He said this, This is the apostle's usual salutation, grace and peace, when addressing the churches. And listen to this statement. It comprehends everything essential to our welfare. Well, let me, let me, I don't want you to miss this. Grace and peace, that's everything that we need to have in order to have a good life. That's everything that we need. Without grace, there's no peace. What do we get by grace? Salvation. 
What do we get? What, what else does grace do? Grace gives us power for service, gives us the ability to love our neighbors, gives us the ability to live in peace. And then peace is the emotional state of well-being that comes as a result of being in God's grace. That's what we need. It, you know what's amazing to me? Many people who claim the greatest belief in God are the least peaceful people in the world. How's the Middle East doing? Is there any strong belief in God in the Middle East? Is there peace? No. No. It's interesting because peace must be on God's terms. Let me tell you something about peace. And we're going to um, get this. Look with me at John. John chapter 14. In verse 8. Uh, no, I'm sorry. John 14 and verse 27. John 14, 27. Here's Jesus Christ speaking. We're going to come back to this passage in a minute. Peace, I leave with you. Would you mark the next two words? My peace, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I, to, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you see what Jesus Christ says there? What, what peace is he giving to us? His peace. So here's what I want you to get. First thought that I want you to have, that I want to stick in your heart, write it down somewhere, tattoo it to your forehead. All right? Peace is the property of God. No one else has it. It's His. Now, there, there is peace in the world that's not God's peace. Is that what it says? Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Not that peace, you know. When you come to San Francisco. You know, you got to be stoned to think that's going to give you something good. Okay, how many of you think that's the weirdest thing you ever saw? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That Woodstock stuff, put a flower in your hair. And what you know what the wonderful thing is? Since, since the 1960s, they, they were so effective, there's never been another conflict. War is gone. That's not the right kind of peace. You see, genuine peace is the property of God. And if you want peace, you got to get the peace that comes exclusively from Him. That's the peace of God. Um, Here's the definition from Webster's. Peace is a condition of freedom from disturbance. Peace is a condition of freedom from disturbance. How many of you ever noticed? You're in your house all day, you know, you home, kids are home and everything. And then the kids go to bed. <laughs> Some of you with babies just went, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And you didn't realize the turmoil that you were in. Until all that's gone. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's peace. That's peace. 
Well, this, that's, that's freedom from disturbance. We're often distressed because we are confused as to God's purposes in our life. That's where our unsettling comes from. Do you know that God is never confused about His purpose for your life? So if you want peace, it's going to have to come from Him. And we're going to talk about that this morning. The reason we don't have peace is because we don't have control. It's very difficult for me to have peace in a car when I'm not driving. Anybody else that way? I mean, if you're in a car, you're going to be behind the wheel. Right? And when somebody else is driving... Man, you just hate it. So, uh, I'll drive on vacation and, and you know people say, you drove all the way here, why didn't you let Laura drive? Because it's more restful when I'm driving. Not because she's a bad driver, I'm just you know, a control freak. Um, peace, what's interesting for many of us, the reason that we don't have peace is because we feel like we're not in control. And honestly, the, unsettling, the, the unsettled feeling that many of us have in our country right now is because we look at what's going on in these places and we really have no control over what's happening with it. And that is unsettling. But peace is the property of God, and if you want it, you must get it there. All right, so now, let's look at this. What is the primary purpose of peace? I think this is going to surprise you. Uh, When you study the Bible, there's a principle that many of you have learned. It's called the law of first mention. When God first mentions something in the Scriptures, what He says about it the first time will carry truth with it through the rest of the Scriptures. So if you want to find out what something, the primary meaning of something, find out the first time it's used in the Bible. Let's look at the first time peace is used. Genesis chapter 15. It is, um, I've often marveled at God's grace. Um, you know, obviously... <laughs> This is a, a, a kind of a, not any reason to say this. Um, I'm not the most sensitive person in the world. And so as a pastor, if it was up to me to keep my thumb on the pulse of the people and give you exactly what you need that day, this would be a train wreck. You all are very kind. No one said amen right there. But, but it would be. But what I found is, as I preach through books of the Bible, God gives us exactly what we need at that time. There's not, there, I don't know of a time, I can't remember a time, maybe back in the 60s, maybe in the 70s with the oil embargo and all that. But in, in recent memory, I don't know of a time when there's been more need to, for scriptural teaching on peace. And I didn't plan that. That's, I, just, God, I felt like God wanted us to go through the book of Galatians, and God knew exactly what we needed right now. But let's look at this first mention of peace. Uh, Genesis chapter 15 And look at verse 15. This is God calling Abram. He's called him in 12. Now in 15, he's telling them what's going to happen. Verse 15, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Now, how many of you makes you feel good all over? See, the first mention of peace is about death. The first mention of peace, it involves death. So let's go back to John chapter 14 and let's see what Jesus was saying about peace. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. All right, so now, here you go. What is the context of Jesus saying he's going to leave them peace? What's the context? He, he's not going on vacation. He's going to the cross. He's going to be tortured as no man has ever been tortured before. Not only by the whip and the rods and the crown of thorns and the nails and the spear, the cat of nine tails. Not only that, other people went through that. The Apostle Paul had that happen either three or five times. Not the crucifixion, but the beating. That, not only that, but the weight of the sin. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. We've got to understand God's revulsion to sin. Whatever it is that grosses you out more than anything else in the world. We ate elk heart. Not Indiana. We ate elk heart yesterday. And all these guys are going, yeah, Chad, and Chad, uh, what's your name? Hollinger. He, he's eating it. Yeah, good stuff. And Jacob, you know, they talk Jacob into taking a bite. So I figure if Jacob's going to eat it, I have to eat it. I look over at Jacob, and it's in his teeth. Dad, can I go get another drink? Sick, man. The guy that gave it to us, Steve Clayton, the preacher. I guess later on, I didn't hear him say this. He goes, yeah, I hate that stuff. He's the guy that was giving it to us. But, you know, you you go and you look at some of that stuff, and and it's just... Imagine how, now, now we talk about that and we laugh. How many of you, honestly, there's some stuff you're just not eating. I'm not eating sushi. You know what I mean? If it's not cooked, I'm not eating it. I don't care. I don't care if 500 million people in Asia eat it every day. I don't care. I'm not eating it. You know, when I was in Africa, they brought us this uh, little pygmy goat out. And it was a great feast for us. They were very kind to do it. Here's a goat about this big on a platter. Still had the head, still had the hair, all this stuff. They present it to us, then they get these knives and they chop it all up and mix it together and put some rice with it. Larry Clayton leans over and says, don't eat that. <laughs> like, like there was an option. <laughs> you know, I looked at that and that was... Now, let me say this. I heard Dr. Ree say this one time. If you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. Amen? So we are making a little light right now. But if I have a choice, I'm not eating something like that. So we talk about revulsion in a different way. That's not the kind of revulsion that God has for sin. This is something that's in his very character, in his very nature, that is contrary to his infinite holiness. That's what Jesus Christ took on for us. You ready for this? But he did it in complete peace. You see, peace... The, the primary purpose of peace in the Scriptures, the first time it's spoken of, given to Abraham, was for dying. Here, Jesus Christ, the most famous passage on peace, Jesus Christ is saying, I'm going to give you peace 
My peace, you ready for this? It's not in the text, but there's an implication. Because I don't need it. And he was going to the cross. So here's the idea. If God has given peace for the worst situation in life, then that peace is good enough for the smaller situations in life. And it's the property of God. That's the primary purpose and meaning. Then let's look at the the second time, or another time, uh, a common understanding of peace. Look at Psalm 120. Psalm 120. All right. Verse 6. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You see that? Psalm 120, verse 6. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. War speaks of conflict and enemies, unresolved differences, pain, fear, destruction, turmoil. That's what war is. Um, A lot of times the old movies about war, they they really glorified it. And World War II, we had fewer, many, we had a lot of men in battle. And when they came home, war was carnage and it was horrible. But there weren't the, the traumatic mental issues that happened from the Vietnam War. What's the difference? What's the difference? Well, better methods of killing people and younger men. Average age in World War II was something like 24, 28. Average age in Vietnam was like 19. There's a difference. But I can tell you this. No one who has been in war thinks war is cool. Amen? War is awful. War is awful. People die even when you win. Galatians 1. When God says, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, grace and peace be unto you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. He's offering peace to the church at Galatia. Peace, though, is a cessation of hostilities. And peace is the property of God. Peace can only be on God's terms. So when the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is offering peace to the churches of Galatia, well, that means he's going to have to rebuke Peter to his face. That means he's going to have to correct error in the churches. He's going to have to strike at the root of false teaching and the teachers who teach it. We can't have peace on our own terms. Spiritual conflict precedes spiritual peace. Because remember, we talked about it under under grace. We are at war with God. We are at enmity with Him. We are at hostility with God. Until, until His grace comes. And then there's peace. Amen? Let me give you an example of this. You know that in June, the schedule is for me to go to Lebanon, the country of Lebanon, and teach pastors there from countries all over the Middle East. That's the plan. Go to Lebanon with Brother Figali, Jeff Faggart, and we're going to preach and teach there. 
All right. Um, but I just had a picture of Jeff Faggart in one of those uh, long robe things there. But anyway, um, so we're going to go and teach there. Well, the country right next to Lebanon is Israel. Now, how do you think it'd be kind of dumb to go over there and not go into Israel for a couple of days, right? So I was going to do that. Do you know you can't do that? If you have Lebanon stamped on your passport, you can't get into Israel. If you have Israel stamped on your passport, you can't get into Lebanon. And do you know what it said on the embassy website as I was looking at it? We are in a state of war and have been since 1973. They're at war. Now, we don't think of it that way. We go into Canada, we're not in a battle. Amen? You just, just Now you have to have an ID card, but for all along, you don't have to have any, I think maybe just a driver's license to cross the border. We're not at war with Canada. That's a blessing, isn't it? Amen. They're in a state of war. Hostility. Hostility. But the only way to have peace is through God. So now I want you to see something. Let's tie this together. Go with me to Psalm 122. We're talking about peace. Peace is the opposite of war and hostility. Let's look at Psalm, 20, Psalm 122, Psalm 122, and look at verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Amen. We're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? Look at the next verse. Peace be within thy walls and property within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God will I seek thy good. All right, so how many of you understand that right now, the, our president has just said that they're going to go into the Security Council, the United Nations, and condemn the nation of Israel for building houses in the West Bank. How many of you have heard that happen just this past week? That's where we are. All right. Now, it takes 10 days to figure out that you ought to say something against Gaddafi, who's shooting people. But immediately, you know, don't build houses. Now, here's the idea. Though what they're trying to do is impose a worldly peace on the Middle East. How's that working out? And here's the idea. If we can, and here's the American thinking. If we can go in there and negotiate some land for the Palestinians, some land back to Egypt, some land back to Jordan, if we can do that, there can be peace. No, they want all of it. They're not going to be satisfied with that little bit. But imagine this. Imagine if our um, ambassador to the Middle East, to, to that area, that region, or let's just say our Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, goes in. It's a scary statement I just made. <laughs> but imagine that she goes in. Now, first of all, all she has to do is use the voice she used on the campaign stump. And they'd all lay down their guns and say, please, we'll do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Because every man in their blood's running out of his ears and he wants to kill himself. But other than that, imagine if she went in. Now, ladies, I'm sorry if you don't understand that. Men, how many of you men understand exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah, happy to go home to her. Um, 
Imagine if she walked in. There really is a point to this. Imagine if she walks into the negotiations and she says, I know how we can have peace. I know how we can have peace. Let's confess our sins and submit to God. Do you understand that immediately there would be peace? Do you understand that? If people would submit to God's purposes in that place, there would be immediate peace and benefit for everyone in the region. How many of you think that's the way the negotiations are going to go? So here's the idea. You see this sign, pray for world peace. Well, that sounds really good. You know, the, 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 the beauty pageant contestant. What would you like to see? What is your goal? World peace. Right? Because they don't have maps. Y'all seen that? World peace. Okay, so we're going to pray to world peace. Who are we going to pray to for world peace? Because peace is the property of God. And if they want to have peace in that region, that means they have to submit to God's purposes in order to have that peace. Are they going to do that? No. So what are the chances of there being world peace? See, here's how we're supposed to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What is it? Where? As it is in heaven. That kind of peace would be great. And it's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. So this idea of praying for peace, Richard Nixon, everyone's favorite moral leader, he said this. He wrote a book called No More Vietnams. He said this, any nation that believes it can maintain peace using only peaceful means will soon be a peace of another nation. Man, that is so true. That is so true. I promise you that if Wade New walks down an alley and there's guys waiting and they see that I'm walking down the alley later, I'm the one they're going to jump. Right? Tony, Tony's walking into the room. Nobody ever, he never has to worry about people smarting off at him. His wife, maybe. But he doesn't have to worry about that. Why? Because people understand force naturally. Is that right? No, they don't realize that I've got much greater force than any of those knuckleheads, but, you know. Okay, now, the idea of having peace, remember where we started, peace is the property of God. The primary use of the word peace is for dying peace and grace and strength in, the, in, in our most difficult time. So now, let's go, and we're going to finish up with two texts. Go to John chapter 14. And let's really break this down and understand peace in the New Testament. Are you seeing how the world's concept of peace is really crazy? You can't have peace apart from God's purposes. Now, here's where we all get that, but let's look at it in our own lives. All right. So we're at John 14, 25. Or verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, he's going to the cross, 
But he knows his father has promised that he is going to raise him from the dead, set him at the right hand in glory, give him an inheritance of all creation, knowing the outcome of his sacrificial death on the cross enables Jesus to be at peace as he faces it. So it's like this. I'm watching a television show, and the hero... And let me, let me put it this way. I don't watch anything where no one's getting shot. Okay? If they're not getting shot, I don't want to watch it. So I'm watching a show, and the hero is there, and he's in this situation that's really bad. Do you know what I do? Because sometimes I, I get into it, you know? You know what I tell myself? Well, the show's got to be on next week, so he's going to get out. And so I relax a little bit. I'm serious. When we had just gotten married, we're watching this movie. And it, it, now, this will tell you how bad I am. It's like a lifetime movie. You know what I mean? And it's about this couple, and the guy was an abusive husband, and she had a restraining order, and he was going to defy the restraining order, and the police didn't believe her, and this guy was coming in, who's going to kill her, and he is beating her up. And this police officer, who didn't really believe it is coming, you know, he's checking his teeth in the mirror, and he's being real slow. And I get up, I stand up, and I start yelling at the TV, Get in there! Get in! I really did this. Laura's on the couch next to me, and she's like this. What did I marry? So when I say I get into this stuff, I really do. So uh, when I watch this show and the hero's in trouble, I realize that they've already advertised the next week's show, so he's going to be okay. Well, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he knew he was gonna, he, that it was going to be awful, but he knew what his future was. Amen? The reason that we are in turmoil when we're in struggle is because we don't know what the future is. And for us, peace is control. And we're not trusting the God who knows the future to take us through it. Let's look at a biblical example of this. Mark chapter 8. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4. But uh, I wanted to do one more thing. Find Mark 4. Hold your finger there. And let's go back to John 14. The first thing that I want you to see here in John 14 before we go to Mark, verse 27, peace I leave with you. Notice something really important. Peace is not the absence of the cross. Peace is not the absence of the cancer in your life. Peace is not the absence of, of pain in your family. Um, on my mind, I have Deb Fugate's dad is going to die any day. Pastor Knox, I talked to him this morning, is going to go and give the gospel to her dad. But yesterday, he had a family in his church that yesterday afternoon found their two-year-old baby in the pool dead. Um, Phil's dad's having open-heart surgery Tuesday. Had stent after stent after stent. Um, you know, we got a lot of people with trouble. We have a lot of people with trouble. Peace is not the absence of the surgery or of the dead child. Peace is not the absence of the cancer. Peace is not the absence of the war. Peace is not the absence of the trouble. It is the gift of God that He gives to us so that we can be light in the middle of the trouble. 
Um, when do I lose my peace and calm? When do we lose our peace? When the situation rattles me so badly that I lose relationship, I lose my relationship to the facts of the matter. Let me explain that to you. I lose my peace when I remove myself from the facts of the situation and allow the situation to become bigger than God in my life. Now we're going to go to Mark and look at the situation. Keep your place in John. Keep your place in John because we're going to come back quickly. All right? So Mark chapter 4, and look at verse 35. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, so keep your place here in Mark. Do you see the story? They're going to cross over. A big storm comes up. Jesus is asleep. The guys are freaking out. Okay, that's what's going on. And he says to them, after he takes care of the whole situation, he says to them, Why do you have no faith? Right? So let's tie this back to John 14. Keep Mark 6. Or Mark 4, I mean, we're going to come back. Look at John 14. What is the context? What is the context of peace? I leave with you in verse 27. Look at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall comfort you in all things. Is that what your Bible says? He will give you peace in all things. Is that what the Bible says? No. What's he going to do? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to give you peace. The role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you what God has promised you. The result of that is to be peace in your life. You see that? Let's illustrate that from Mark 4. Go back to Mark 4 and you'll see this. So they don't have any faith. Is that right? Look at what they say in verse 38. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, is that a stupid question? He's coming to die for them. Do you think he cares whether or not they die? Absolutely. He's giving his life for them. Stupid question. Why is it that they're so afraid? Now, now, here's a simple question for you. How many of you think the disciples were at peace at that moment? No. Do you know why they didn't have peace? Because the Holy Spirit was bringing to remembrance, but they weren't remembering. 
Look at verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Jesus Christ said to them, Let us pass over to the other side. Now, how many of you think if Jesus says we're going to pass over to the other side, how many of you think you're going to make it? If Jesus said, Let us pass over to the other side, how many of you think we're going to make it? He said, Let us. Let us. Let us pass over to the other side. Jesus was so worked up about the storm, he's asleep. How many of you think he's real worried about it? Do you think he knew about it? Yeah, he's God. He knows everything. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't this much afraid. The reason he chastised his disciples for having no faith, he already told them they're going over. He didn't say it would be a smooth ride. Is that right? So what we're learning is the Holy Spirit is supposed to teach us. It's going to teach us the word. But in order to to bring to remembrance, how many of you have ever remembered something that you had never learned before? How many of you teachers have students that try to do that on their tests? Right? The test was too hard. No, you didn't study. The test wasn't too hard. So here you are. The Holy Spirit can't bring something to your remembrance that you have not studied. So here, this is what Jesus does not say. Jesus didn't say this. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to completely ignore the Word of God. I want you to get the daily bread out, read one verse in a cute little story, and go about your life. Take care of everything that you want to do. Do your own thing. Come to church when you want to come to church. Give God glory when you want to give Him glory. And then when trouble comes, then I'll give you peace. How many of you recognize that's not what Jesus Christ said? That's not what he said at all. And our problem is we get in the bad situation and we haven't read God's word about that situation. You know that God's word deals with every situation you're ever going to go through? And it's like when, and I don't want to be trite about this. We've been laughing a lot today. I don't want to be trite about this. When our son died... Riley, um, and immediately, Brother Kaiser, in our home that evening, he, he brought me to that scripture where David's son had died. And David said, when they questioned him, why, you know, when he was alive, you mourned and sackcloth and ashes and fasted. And now that he's died, you, you cleaned yourself and, and you're eating. And David's answer was, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. So immediately, Brother Kaiser gave me the promise of God's word for our situation. And there's no way to tell you how much that helped. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Of course, God brings people into our lives who know God, who can give us godly counsel. And aren't you thankful for that? But the way that we're going to have personal peace is when we know God's word well enough in those situations to where we can rest and the Holy Spirit brings those things to us. So now let's look. At Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, you know, everyone knows this passage about peace. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understandings, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you are thankful for that passage? Seriously. But the problem is, 
we always forget the and. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to mark that and at the beginning of that verse. Highlight it. Mark that, ver- that word. That verse isn't floating out in space all by itself. How many of you, seriously, how many of you in the last month have been in a situation where you've not been at peace? I'm going to raise my hand. Right? What, is this verse not true then? No. We forget the and. Okay, the and, you teacher, someone tell me, what is and? What kind of word is it? It's a conjunction. What do conjunctions do? They connect. Conjunction, function, what's your function? Right? So it's going to connect something. It's connecting verse 7 to verse 6. Look at what this says. Be careful for nothing, full of care for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The first reason we lose our peace is this. We try to handle everything we can handle. And when it gets to where we can't handle it anymore, we've taken our full measure of care. We take that to God and ask Him to handle it for us. So let me give you an illustration, an an, an example of this. You've got trouble with a child for five years. Uh, Trouble. And then when the child really gets in trouble, then you take that to God. And you're not at peace because you're expecting God to unravel five years of your bad decisions. You see? That's our problem. That's our problem. We let it go so far that we lose our peace. What we're supposed to do, we're not supposed to wait until the emergency comes. Go back to Mark chapter 4. And let's see how these guys did it. Mark chapter 4. You see this in relationships, you know, where there's a little bit of friction when you first get married, but you don't deal with it properly. And then that friction keeps coming, and that friction keeps coming after years and years and years. What does friction do after a little while? It sets things on fire. Right? And so now it's, it's exploding, and you say, let's fix this thing. And you go to God, and you say, God, please fix our marriage. Well, your entire context for a biblical relationship is gone. And so what you have to do is you have to go all the way back to the beginning to when you first were not trusting God for the small problem and you've got to begin learning how to trust Him for that small problem. Trust Him for that small problem. Like casting all your care on Him for He careth for you. Every little thing. Here, here's, here's, we see this in this story. Mark chapter 4. Look at what it says. Verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind... Did they come to Jesus when the great storm of wind came? No. And the waves beat into the ship. Do you think when waves start coming into the ship, that might have been a good time to go to Jesus? Seriously, you think that might have been a good time? How about this? So that it was now full. Now, I don't know a lot about boating. But I do know this, when the boat is full of water, that's a bad thing. Right? How many of you think it might have been a good idea for them to come to Jesus a little bit sooner? You think? But this is exactly what we do. We wait until it's crisis mode. You know why? Because before that, we're saying, I got it. I can handle this. Yeah, I'm pretty good at this stuff. I got it. Honey, look at the map. No, I got it. 
That's exactly where we are. That's exactly what happened to them. So our first problem is that we don't go to God until the problem is so big. This is where that daily walk. Do you know what the book of Galatians is about? Daily grace for every aspect of your life, not living it in the flesh, so that when the big problem comes, you're, you're already connected to the one with the answer. You already trust that he has the answer. You know what our second problem is? Our second problem, let's go back to Philippians. Four, verse six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, remember, everything, everything, those little things taken to them with supplication and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. With thanksgiving. If you can't thank God for what is happening in your life, then you have questions about what he is doing. You see, our second main problem, and there are only two that we're going to deal with today, our second problem is we imagine that God is not running our lives properly. Now, none of us would ever say that. God, you really messed this one up. None of us would ever say that. But if you can't be thankful for the situation that God has you in at that moment, then you are questioning about what He is doing. If you can't say, Lord, I know that Your way is best and I appreciate this. And none of us do that all the time, but we're supposed to. The reality, though, is when I don't do this, it is not God's fault that I don't have peace. If I'm questioning what He is doing, that is not trust. So, let's wrap this up. What is peace? How do I get this peace? First of all, by bringing everything to God in prayer. Everything. Everything. If you pray to God about what you're putting on that day, then you'll be more apt to honor Him in what you wear. Right? If you pray to God, young men, about what girl to date, then you'll honor God in that decision. If, if parents, you pray about whether or not your children should even date before they're you know, out of high school, then you'll honor God in that decision. It, every little decision. If you honor Him in those small decisions, you know, when, when you're disciplining your baby, you know, child, you know, a year and a half old, two years old, and they look at you and you say, okay, Tommy, time to put your toys away. No! But if you say, God, how should I handle this? Lord, in your word, what should I do here? Well, then you know immediately that the response is that you discipline that child so that they understand it's a bad consequence when they do that. Well, then when they're 16 and you tell them to do something and they say, yes, sir. You see, when they're 16 and that's the first time you've said no to them, Now you got a big problem. You see? Take everything to Him in prayer, starting from the small things. Secondly, have confidence in His Word. Believe what He has said. Remember what God's going to do. The Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Have confidence in what God has said. Let us pass over. They didn't believe Him. Have confidence in His Word. Then, no matter what happens, we do not leave our peace. James Knox said this. I've got it in bold and underlined, and it just blew my mind when I, I just heard him say it this morning. I listened to a message of his. The minute I begin serving God in an advisory role, I lose my peace. 
How many, seriously, how many of you in prayer have ever told God the way things ought to be? Seriously, how many of you ever done that? God, I'm not sure what you want to do, but here's what I think we ought to do. I pray that way. So that's why when I heard this, I thought, stink. That's not the way that we're... Don't you love it when you make suggestions to God? God, you know, you might want to... I'm telling you, if you live that way, you cannot have peace. And those of us who love to have the wheel, man, it is tough to walk in grace. And you can't have peace unless God has the wheel. All right, let's finish this thing up. You know the perfect example of this, the perfect illustration of it? Go to Matthew chapter 16. I knew right after I said two more verses and we'd be done that I was lying. I meant two more points, but I didn't say that, so please forgive my deceit. Matthew chapter 16. Peter. I want us to use Peter. Peter is the perfect example of this concept of peace. Remember what we said. Peace is taking everything to God in prayer. comes from taking God, everything to God in prayer and then believing His Word. Right? Let's see how Peter does. Matthew chapter 16, and let's start reading in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, let's just stop right there for a second. How many of you understand that's the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world? It's horrible that it happened to him, but it had to happen so that we could be saved. You all get that? Okay, here's Peter. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. You really ought to mark that in your Bible. And maybe put a note next to it. I probably shouldn't do this. Right? Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. I like, I like this. You ready for this? I love it. It's right in the text. Be, what, what how does it say? Be it far from thee, Lord. How many of you think he was submitting to the Lordship of Christ when he's telling God not to do something? You see, so Peter... Now, now don't miss this. Do you know what the foundation of this statement is? Peter really loved Jesus. He really loved Jesus. He just didn't think Jesus knew what he was talking about. How many times have you been in a situation where you really do love Jesus... You're just not sure he's got this situation worked out just right. What's the result of that? What happened at the cross? What happened? Peter, they come to take Jesus. And Peter, again, still not wanting Jesus to go to the cross, takes out his sword, goes to chop off the guy's head. The guy goes like this, chops off his ear. Peter, put your sword down. Picks up the ear, brushes it off. Peter, if my kingdom were this world, then would my servants fight. He still didn't get it. At the cross, he sees what's happening to Jesus. And he, Peter says, this is not my plan. I don't even know him. What happened? What would cause someone who loved Jesus 
to curse him. What would cause that? Not believing his word. You know what the good news is, though? Jesus rises from the dead. He goes and finds Peter. He gets Peter back on the right course. Next time we see Peter in trouble with the law, he's in jail. And he's going to be executed the next morning. Remember, he's all tore up about Jesus dying. Now, now, he's getting ready to die. And he's in prison. They pray. The angel comes to release him. What does the angel have to do? Wake him up. He's so at peace, he's sawing logs in the jail the night before he's going to die. What's the difference? What's the difference? Before, when Peter was in a situation that was out of his control, he didn't believe God's word. And so he didn't have peace. And it almost destroyed him. Now, he knows that God has a plan. He knows that God's in control. So here in a situation where previously he would not have been at peace, now he is at peace and rest because he, be- he now believes God's words. Folks, we can change. If you're not a peaceful person, you can change. Peter did not get the peace when God got him out of jail. He already had the peace in jail. This teaches us the purpose of Galatians. It teaches us to cling to the cross, take everything to Him, trust Him, serve Him in His strength, and serve Him for His glory. i got to tell you, there's nobody in this room that needed this message this morning more than me. Man, i got a high stress level, high anxiety, because I'm in charge of everything, and when it doesn't go just the way I want to, I get mad. Am I the only person in the room like that? No. Is that Wade again? I'm going to get on a chair and beat you like a mule. Listen, all of us, all of us, it doesn't matter if you have a type A personality. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. Most of us live through many periods of our lives without the peace of God. We do. And the reason we do that is, number one, we do not trust God's plan for our lives. Number two, we don't know God's Word well enough to claim the promise He's given for that moment. And so number three, we live in turmoil. Folks, this is a messed up world. The only way peace is going to come to this world is submission to God and His purposes. But we have messed up lives. And the only way that we're going to have peace in our lives is when we submit to God's Word and His purposes and believe Him. But we can't do it on our own. It's got to be done through grace. Amen? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word.